laughing about their wives. One of them says, My wife wants me to read this book with her. He picks it up and recites the first line, Imagine a rain so beautiful, it must never have existed. There's a pause where the other two stare at him, and then all three burst out laughing. Now, maybe it's a chick thing or what, I don't know, but that does seem to me ridiculously funny. Imagine a rain so beautiful it must never have existed. Okay, maybe this is just a really poor writer's attempt to draw their reader into the story, to describe something that they cannot see, and that's a difficult task to accomplish. But what about trying to describe something that can't be seen? Not just things we are unable to see, like electricity. We know electrons exist, and if we could get a good enough microscope, we could actually see them. They are physical entities, even though we can't see them. There's something tougher yet. Try describing the immaterial. How about your emotions? I feel so blue without you. Blue? I'm just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed today. Now there's a visual image. <laughs> The heart of every man quakes when he hears these words. Tell me how you love me. Guys struggle with this one. And, in our defense, feelings are notoriously fickle. Ladies, want to know what we love? The practical description that we get from Paul. Be patient and kind. Don't envy or boast. Don't be arrogant or rude. Don't seek your own. He goes on. This is great, straightforward, practical stuff. No feelings here. Give me that. You want me to tell you how my love for you feels? How about describing who you are? Not physically, who you are as a person, your nature, what is essentially you, what philosophers call your ontology, your character. That's not something you can directly see. Yes, we see the outworking of a person's character, but you can't see the character of anyone, not even our own. But today we want to go beyond even this. John the Apostle, towards the end of his life, is given an amazing series of visions. He wrote much of it down for us, called it the Revelation of Jesus Christ. There are visions of real future events, visions of real places and people, most of which did not yet exist. And then there are the visions of that which can never be seen, no matter how long you wait, that which exists only in another dimension, visions of God. John is given a vision that seems to be a physical manifestation of the Creator who is spirit. And then he has to describe it to us. And how about this? John, describe the vision of the wonder of God's provision of redemption for repentant sinners. How about describing the wonder, the glory of that which we cannot see and cannot grasp, our eternal future? Somehow, John must use language to describe his visions of those things he saw that represent that which cannot be seen. And in all this, we will find also the reaction of those in John's vision who do see the reality, a reaction which should be ours as well, and one day will be. Let's listen to a part of the Revelation and see if we can visualize what John saw. It's God the Creator being thanked. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. 
At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated in the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Wow! <laughs> What a vision! <laughs> John sees God. And then 24 men with crowns who surround God's throne. Then he goes back to the setting of the throne of God. Then there are these fantastic creatures. They worship God and the elders, each of whom has his very own crown and throne, cast their crowns at the feet of God. Why? Worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Even though these have thrones immediately around the throne of God himself, they say, forget us. <laughs> Look at him. Well, God should be ruler of the universe and get all the glory because he created it all. And this vision shows attributes of his power and glory and beauty and his omniscience. The creature, like a lion, points to power. The ox shows his unchanging nature, his immutability. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. The creature with the face of a man indicates his intelligence and his wisdom. And the eagle soars above all the birds. And this one reminds us of the sovereignty of God over all things. These creatures... Praise, that is, they give thanks to God because he was and is and is to come. He's eternal. And then there are the 24 men. Who are these guys? <laughs> In a little while, we'll read that they represent all redeemed humans. For now, we need to note why they believe God should be praised and thanked. For you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. I'm deeply impressed with the inventiveness of human beings. Consider who all was involved in making it possible to amplify and record sound. Uh, here's a few of them. James Watt. Now, most people recognize him as the inventor of the steam engine. It's the first really effective mechanical power source. 
But his work on the measurement of power was absolutely critical to all electrification. To this day, you'll find bulbs rated in watts, as well as amplifiers rated in watts of power they can put out for sound. Michael Faraday, among many other things, discovered that electricity moves in waves through space, and he designed a means to control that. As a matter of fact, if you know anything about electricity and electronics, you'll find every capacitor is rated in farads after Michael Faraday. Heinrich Hertz worked from the theory of James Maxwell to prove the existence of these electromagnetic waves. Their frequency is, to this day, expressed in Hertz. Nikolai Tesla was critical in the development of ways to use all that these others had discovered. If you've never seen one, <laughs> seeing a large Tesla coil, there are Tesla coils the size of silos. They're set up to produce lightning. If you've never seen one in action, you should, it's an awesome sight. you really got to see it. But it's the tiny versions of it that finally made possible recording and radio and television, the Internet, etc., etc., etc. All that was necessary. And humans are fantastically inventive, and we ought to be thankful for all that they've done for us. But these are inventions, not creations. They come out of something else. There's this old joke that I like about a bunch of scientists who've decided they can do anything. So God says to them, well, why don't you guys try to make a fully functioning human being out of the dust of the ground? And they say, fine, we can do that. And they go outside to get some dirt. And Oh, no, God says, you get your own dirt. <laughs> out of nothing... God created all the material universe. He created the dirt, the matter itself. And he created the four forces known to modern physics. Gravity. When you're standing on the edge of a cliff, remember this. Gravity isn't just a good idea. It's the law. <laughs> Sorry. Favorite joke of mine. <clears throat> Magnetism. It's for more than just hanging those cute little things on your fridge. Without a perfectly balanced magnetic field, there would be no life on Earth. A weak nuclear force, we usually think of that as chemical energy. Put some gas in an internal combustion engine, squish it, put a spark to it, and bang! Gas vapor becomes chemical energy, which is converted to physical energy, and you can drive. The last of the four forces is strong nuclear force, we might say atomic energy. Well, let me give you an example, just one example of how incredibly balanced these forces are. The sun is a huge atomic furnace, right? Well, why doesn't it blow up? <laughs> well, gravity. Gravity provides the energy to run the nuclear engine, and yet it is perfectly balanced with the strong nuclear force that it creates so that the mass of the sun both provides the energy to cause the explosion and holds it all in place while it's burning. And if that's not incredible enough, add this to the mix. Now, obviously, the sun must be and is using up matter at a prodigious rate, so it must be shrinking, right? Well, actually, no. Because there is less mass, the sun has less gravitational force to hold itself together, so it actually grows very slightly. And wait, won't that make the earth hotter and hotter? Well, two reasons why not. The growth is offset by a lower energy output and 
the lower gravitational pull of the sun lets the earth slip a little bit further away. You know, when the fire gets bigger, don't stand so close to it, right? Well, how well balanced is this? If God lets this universe go for a billion more years, a billion more years, the energy the earth receives from the sun would vary from what it is today by only a tiny fraction, almost immeasurable. God created all these four forces to balance perfectly. And no human being, no human being knows how even one of those four forces works at all. We can describe them in ever better detail, but nobody knows how come they work. Is God a fantastic creator or what? Okay, I can't stop myself. This is, this is my stuff, okay? So you'll just have to put up with me. Within this creation, we find amazing specificity. How do we know Mount Rushmore is a man-made wonder and not a natural wonder? Because we can see some really big noses up there. That's, <laughs> that's the truth. Specific shapes of four different presidents in it. Now, if God created all life, wouldn't we see specificity in life itself? Enter DNA, the most complex and compact code known to exist. Trust me, I was in computing for 30 years. It's way less than one billionth the size of the best human code storage devices. And what an amazing code it is. It includes intricate instructions, including mitosis and apoptosis, the, the multiplication of cells by splitting and a process for removal and reuse of cells as they are no longer needed or grow old. Catch this. A growing child's body, little child, reprocesses enough cells every year to equal their entire body weight. Wow! That's amazing! By the way, they didn't even know apoptosis existed till about 30 years ago. It's absolutely amazing. This is just a fantastic creation of God's. You had enough of my stuff? Oh, no? Okay, I'll keep going. Uh, <laughs> consider photosynthesis. Every plant you see was once dirt. Eat an apple. Two months earlier, it was dirt. Smell a flower. The fragrance was dirt last week. Wow! We could go on and on. I could. You want me to? Okay. Uh, God's creative power is incredible. You can't see that power, but you ought to be praising and thanking Him for it every single day. A wonderful Creator who gave us life and an amazing place in which to live it. God, the glorious Creator, and there's even more. You see, God created everything good, but <clears throat> he turned it over to humans. <laughs> they, we, ruined it. Humans chose death instead of life. Instead of living in the Creator's will, they chose to follow their own will. And since God gave all creation to them, it too was ruined. It too is dying. So does God just throw up his hands and walk away? <laughs> No, no. He had a plan all along. God himself would become a man and go through death 
so that He could lead us beyond death. God Himself will redeem us out of our sin. And John has a vision. And then he attempts to describe to us this that we cannot see. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Wow. (laughs) Amen and amen. Okay, take a breath. A scroll sealed with seven seals in that culture was almost always a last will and testament. Something that took effect only after the death of a person. No one was worthy to open the seal except the one who wrote it. The one who died. The elder said, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. But John saw a lamb. A lamb that had been slain. God's perfect plan, every culture at that time understood sacrifices. And a very common sacrifice was a lamb. But the lion, who was a lamb, conquered. (laughs) Well, conquered what? Death. He was slain, but now he stands. So he was dead, and he is now alive. (laughs) That's great. But what is that to us? Look at verse 9 again. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and nation and language and people. Because this one, who never sinned, let his blood be shed in our place, 
because he died and lives again, we can as well. No wonder they worship so enthusiastically. We first saw the creatures who represent all creation and show us God's glory. Praise God. Then the people representing all the humans ever ransomed for our God praise him enthusiastically. But we will not be alone in praising God. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The angels are all the created spirit world. Nature, humans, and angels. Every part of creation praises the Lamb through whom we have redemption. Well, we praise... And we thank God because He is a wonderful Creator. We sing a new song to the Lamb who was slain because He ransomed us out of our deplorable state. But we can say thank you, God, for even more. (laughs) There's a reason that we need a Savior. This is a fallen world. And we are, each and every human, very definitely a part of that fallen nature. In this world, we can never have perfection. We will never be perfect like God is. We can never see perfection. Even though we are redeemed by the Son for the Father, we need to be remade. And so, in this last set of visions, at the end of all the visions John had is the final good news. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This world will pass away. With its tears, death, mourning, crying, and pain. When did you last thank God that he will end this world? (laughs) Interesting thought. It's the new creation that we long for. We need a new world. The new Jerusalem. A city is both the buildings, structures, and the people. We will be prepared in perfection for our God. And God will dwell with us. He will live with us. We will see what cannot be seen in this world. In that world, we will be with God and he will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more. There will be no reason to mourn or cry. There will be no pain anymore. All those old things pass away. Like death passes away. Death dies. We need a new world. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, 
For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's simple, really. Are you thirsty for life? True life without tears and death and mourning and crying and pain. If you are thirsty for that, then you can live in the new heaven and the new earth as God's child. For those who choose to live for themselves and reject God's gift, the picture's not so cheerful. But John can't keep his eyes off the vision of the city. It is so amazing, like the God who gave the vision to him. And the city that really will be. Let's take one more look at this new city through John's eyes. There's light, there's life, eternal life. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. When you think of the eternal life that God will give us in this new city filled with light and life, it is easy to thank him. When we remember the Lamb of God and his sacrifice for us, by which we gain eternal life, we must thank him. When we remember the glory of God, our creator, that alone will cause us to praise him. He created us, he redeemed us, and he will give us eternal life in perfection. We should join all of creation, fall on our faces, and thank him. You know, the thing about Thanksgiving is it has to have an object. You can't just be thankful. I'm thankful. What? Gratefulness must focus on an entity. I'm thankful that you did this. I'm thankful that God. I suggest the entity that we should be most thankful to is our Creator, our Redeemer, the one who will bring us safely into a new 
perfect creation. A creation which, in which we will see that which we cannot see now. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you for all the folks that are here and I pray that you help us and protect us as we go our way. Help us to help those you bring into our lives in whatever way we can. And mostly help us, Lord, to be thankful for certain this week of all weeks. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.